Hello and welcome to Irreverent Testimony, brought to you by Netroots Radio, the political podcast by and for millennial and Gen Xer types from a left-wing perspective. It's Saturday, March 9th, 2019. I'm Travis. I'm Rachel. And uh, lots happened in the news, but we are going to talk quite a bit, if not the whole podcast, about something that's a little bit under the radar, wouldn't be under the radar in normal times. This would be like a big story, but because of all the other shit going on, it's kind of way it's on page 37e probably of your requisite newspaper well it was on the front page of the post on friday well that's good yeah i didn't realize it was on the front page yeah uh but that is that chelsea manning is back in jail and we are going to talk about that at length because it's more important than you might think and it there's a lot of misconceptions about what's going on and why and we're going to try to clear some of those up yes so, uh, real quick primer on Chelsea Manning. A lot of people don't, they're like, oh, that name sounds familiar, I'd, but refresh my memory. So, mm-hmm. I'm going to do that real quick. Um, <clears throat> Chelsea Manning <coughs> uh, is a transgender woman who formerly served um, in the Army um, back during the Iraq and Afghanistan uh, war sort of heydays. Um, and uh at that time, she had not yet transitioned and was known as Bradley Manning, which a lot of people seem to remember better than Chelsea Manning. Um, you might remember that uh, she served, uh, she was an intelligence analyst um, and served in Iraq and was given top secret clearance and um, had access to a lot of um, things that the government were keeping secret from the public. Um, she viewed some of these materials um, and determined that they were something that the public needed to know, that there were war crimes being committed that were being hidden Mm -hmm. by the Bush administration. And so um, this is in the days before WikiLeaks was really a thing. Um, She was involved with some people in the hacking community in California and um, through those avenues hooked up with... um, WikiLeaks um, and shared with them a couple of videos and then later a bunch of um, uh, intercepts and cables, like 240,000 of them. So a a shitload of information, which WikiLeaks then leaked um, onto the Internet. Uh, The very famous uh, video in Iraq of a helicopter gunning down like 13 people, uh, all of whom, some of whom were journalists, some of whom were civilians, um, and then trying to cover that up. Um, that kind of is what made WikiLeaks become WikiLeaks. It's sort of the thing that launched them into the public uh, sphere and into the media and into people knowing what it was and who they were. Mm-hmm. So over the course of a couple of years, she leaked more things to them. Um, and the uh, government found out about it through a whole series of things I'm not going to get into. You can read about it online. But anyway, um, <clears throat> she was arrested and charged uh, with 17 charges, one of which was um, working with the enemy. I don't remember the exact name of the charge, but that one would have uh, come with it, the death penalty. It was a step short of treason, basically. Yeah. Um, so uh, she went to trial, um, a military tribunal, um, and testified and was convicted of all but that one charge and sentenced to 35 years mm-hmm. in prison. Um, after that, Sentencing, she uh, came out as a transgender woman, began her transition, was subjected to torture and solitary confinement and all sorts of other just really horrific um, 
things while incarcerated. Mm-hmm. And the public outcry um, started to really reach a fever pitch after the Bush administration and during the Obama years. People were like, what the fuck is she still doing in jail? And like, this is bullshit. And um, she exposed all these criminal acts uh, right. in a very unpopular war. And right, right. And you yeah, know, she's a whistleblower. She's not, a whistleblower. Not a, not right. a traitor. Not a traitor. Exactly right. right. And people started to realize that. And um, I think especially after Snowden and, and you know, that whole thing, I think people sort of started to think about this in a little bit of a different way than they did when she was originally charged. Mm-hmm. So um, after the 2016 election, when Trump won, um, three days before he was inaugurated, when President Obama was still the president, he opted to commute her sentence. She had served seven years um, and he commuted her sentence and let her out. And what that means is not a pardon. It just means that. Um, you're done serving time now. Right. The 35 years he turned into seven and mm-hmm. she was let out and went on to do a lot of great things. She ran for a Senate seat uh, in a Democratic primary, which she lost. Um, there's a lot of public speaking. Um, and it's just generally a wonderful human being. So <clears throat> fast forward to why are we talking about Chelsea Manning? Um, so this week, uh, Chelsea Manning was subpoenaed to come testify before a grand jury in the Eastern District of Virginia, which is known as the Terrorism Rocket Docket. It's where all the terrorism cases essentially um, in the states are uh, litigated. Mm-hmm. And because of the nature of grand juries, which we're gonna talk at length about, um, she and her legal defense team had no idea what the substance of this was going to be, what questions they would be asking her. Um, but given her background, it's pretty obvious that it would have something to do with Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. There's nothing else really for them to ask her about. Mm-hmm. And given that um, due to a fuck up on the prosecutor's part a couple weeks ago, um, it was leaked that that they're seeking an indictment or they already have an indictment that's under seal that they haven't released yet of Julian Assange, um, specifically for the 2010 leaks. Um, and so... So that was the assumption that her defense team went in with was that this would be something about that. Um, so they, her defense team um, filed a motion to quash that subpoena. That motion was denied. Um, and then on Thursday, she was brought before the grand jury um, and asked some questions. She refused to answer any of those questions. Um, and on Friday, there was a hearing that held her in contempt and put her in jail. For refusing to cooperate with the grand jury. So. There's a lot to unpack here. (laughs) There is so much to unpack here from so many angles. Yes. And we're going to attempt to do that. Yes. And I will only say this. We are sort of uniquely positioned to do that. Yes. And that is all I will say about that. Yes. So let's talk about why can they lock her up for not talking to a grand jury? Why would you not want to talk to a grand jury? Where do you want to start? Why Why are they asking her these questions? I mean, there's a lot of political ramifications let's, to this. Let's back up even a little further for a hot second just to give everybody some context. Sure. Um, people, everybody, liberal, conservative, most people have very, very short memories when it comes to politics, to world affairs, to everything else. And, and these days when you mention Julian Assange, people just uh, think yeah. of Russia and Trump. Right. And for good reason, because the Russians at some point realized he would be a tremendous asset, bought him, and now he is an agent of Putin. But before that, he was a guy who just leaked government secrets. That was his thing. Yes. And there were a trove of secrets to leak about the Bush administration and the Iraq war. So what's fun now, you turn on Fox News now, 
or you listen to Republican politicians and they love Julian Assange and they love WikiLeaks and WikiLeaks is a wonderful thing, which is really strange because if you go back to any time between 2010 and 2015 yes, and you turn on Fox News or Sean Hannity or Rush Limbaugh and, and Julian Assange is the devil. They want is him. A terrorist? He's a terrorist and yep. a, you want, they want him <laughs> drawn and quartered and he's a menace and and they want to they want to strangle this guy with their bare hands yeah. because he exposed war crimes of the Bush administration. Yes. That was that was his thing. And then and then this is aside from him being probably a rapist as well. Um, but this is just what what WikiLeaks and Julian Assange were. And so that's all on its head now because now he's in he's an agent of Putin. And but, helped Trump win the election. Yeah. Which, yeah. Yeah. But but that aside <clears throat> So remember that context when you're talking about Assange. Also remember that Julian Assange, for as far as the United States government is concerned and the Justice Department, it doesn't matter what was in those classified documents because he he leaked this classified, it was past this classified information. He was on until Trump and the Republicans realized they needed the help of Russia and WikiLeaks. He was on everybody's shit list. Mm -hmm. And he still is on... A majority of the Justice Department's shit list. Yes, very much so. Yes. Um, yes, that's very true. And that's going to go into a bigger conversation <laughs> I'm going to get into later, reminding everybody that, yes, in this age where it just so happens that Republicans are at odds against the intelligence apparatus in the Department of Justice, these are not liberal progressive warriors we're talking about. No, these are not our friends. By any stretch of the, the imagination. The FBI is not your friend. No. Department of Justice is not your friend. No. Um... And I hope that Mueller does great things, but we have to remember that these people are not our friends. No, no. And we're going to we're going to get into all that as we unpack what Chelsea Manning is doing and why she's doing it and why so many of you out there are getting it so incredibly wrong. And while we're talking about this, I would ask just just do me this solid. Don't do the knee-jerk reaction, oh, WikiLeaks, Russia, 2016 election, it's and so and much hate more complicated than that. That we're talking about. Don't do that. Just just sit tight and think about what I'm saying and don't do the knee-jerk reaction of that because that's not what we're talking about. Yes. We, we're we, not talking we, about that. We've acknowledged that that now Julian Assange and WikiLeaks are are tools of Vladimir Putin and the Russian government. Yes. Yeah. We that is not in dispute. Right. This is, but what we're talking about here it transcends that. that by a million miles yes. and is infinitely more complicated. And important. Yes. Yes. So, okay. Let's talk about grand juries. Mm -hmm. Grand juries are not juries. What they call a petite jury um, is a regular jury of 12 people or sometimes six people if it's in a lower court um, who come in and decide the guilt or innocence of a party that's on trial, right? Mm -hmm. Regular jury. Grand juries are entirely separate. And they've been in the media a lot lately around the shootings of unarmed black men. And so it gets even more complicated when you talk about grand juries in that regard. Um, well, and they've been in the news with Mueller, too. Yes. So what a grand jury is, was it, initially it was designed to do, was to check the power of prosecutors. And so before <laughs> a prosecutor could charge someone with a crime, um, they had to prove to a group of average Joe people that there was probable cause to do so. Right. And so it's a pretty um, informal and very ruleless sort of process because it's not it's not determining someone's guilt or innocence. It's just saying, is there enough you as layman on the street? Do you think I have it? Do you think I have enough evidence to put an individual 
through this criminal justice process? Do you think I have the case? Is there enough evidence to say there's probable cause to charge them? Not if they're guilty, but like, yeah, they may. You could charge them with this crime. That's well, let, what it was designed to do. Let me ask you this real quick, just to, so people aren't confused. So uh, let's say that you walk, uh, that your neighbor leaves their bike outside their door and you steal it. Yeah. And then you get charged and then you plead not guilty. Mm-hmm. And then the first thing you will have before you go to trial, if there's a trial, is a hearing. Yes. So why is sometimes is there just a hearing where a judge decides there's enough evidence to proceed? And then why other times does it proceed to a grand jury? So before you're charged is when the grand jury comes into effect. Ah, okay. So before they charge you with stealing the bike, which you would never go before a grand jury for stealing a bike. Grand juries are reserved for sort of high big, profile high cases, profile, big crimes. federal crimes, especially federal crimes. Um, uh, crimes that are white collar crimes a lot of times. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, but let's say that that they were to do that, that before the prosecutor could charge you, like the police would come and say this person did this, and then bring that to the prosecutor, right, mm-hmm. and say that this person did it, and here's why I think that's that that they did it. Then the prosecutor would take that evidence from the police and go before a grand jury and present it to between sixteen and twenty three people, and just say. Here's what the cops said. Do you think we have it? That's the ideal. That's what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Right. And then those people are like, sure. And the the sort of old adage is, uh, grand jury will convict a ham sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. And the new <laughs> yeah. adage is, the grand jury will indict a ham sandwich unless he's wearing a badge and a gun. <laughs> Let me ask you this because so. I've also heard this. Let's say uh, a prosecutor goes in front of a grand jury and says. Um, Rachel stole the bike, right? Mm-hmm. And the grand jury says, mm, I'm not seeing it, no. Yeah. Can can they just go get another, convene another grand jury? No. Okay, all right. So that is another misnomer. Great. Yeah, no. <clears throat> That's done. So, um, and it, it this is really jurisdictional, so it depends on where you live and what the um, the the jurisdiction you live in and... and um, you know, the level of the court, like it depends. Sometimes grand juries are required. Sometimes they're not like it's the way that we practice law in this country is, is really interesting and really, um, uh, done on sort of a state local county level. So Mm -hmm. (coughs) it's different depending on where you live, but um, almost never in like petty theft misdemeanor cases, would you ever have a grand jury? Right. So, Here's the problem, and it's twofold, and I don't want to get too far in the weeds on the cop thing, but I think it's important because I think that's what a lot of people think of right now when you talk about grand juries is these cops that go and they they shoot some kid in the street, and then the prosecutors decide to take the case to a grand jury to say whether or not we indict this cop for killing this kid. Mm -hmm. And and the reason they bring that for a grand jury, because now you're talking about uh, federal civil rights. It's a violation of civil rights, well, which is why a grand jury would get involved, right? Well, I don't I don't know that I can speak intelligently to that, but I think the the biggest reason that they do it is much more nefarious than that, which is yes. the, the prosecutors don't want to charge the cop with a crime. They don't mm-hmm. want to because prosecutors and cops work very closely together. Yeah, they're literal drinking buddies. Yes, and so they don't want to charge the cop with a crime. And the thing about grand juries is they're really uniquely structured in that, like I said, there's basically no rules. And what I mean by that, I'm really serious. When you go before a grand jury, there's no judge. Um, the 
prosecutors run the entire show. They can ask any questions they want. There's no rules of evidence. So, like, in a regular trial, you're like, objection, this, that. There's none of that. There's no judge. There's no defense counsel present. So if you're bringing up a witness who's going to eyewitness somebody, right, and they, like, there's no defense counsel allowed in the room. They're allowed to sit outside of the room um, and and be have the defendant ask them questions, but they're not allowed to be in the room. So they can't counsel their client, which is so fucked up. And there's no rules of evidence, so the prosecutors can ask literally any question they want. Or, or introduce anything. And they can bring up any kind of evidence, they can do anything they want, they can also withhold any kind of evidence that they want. There's literally, it, it, there's no rules. Now, ostensibly, this would all come out of trial, but if, if this was a regular hearing in front of a judge, there would be rules. Absolutely. Things would need to be relevant to the case. In order to be talked about, things would need to... I mean, there's a lot of... And granted, there might be shitty judges who suck, but still, it, you defense counsel could be there. It'd be like, this evidence is bullshit, or the person wasn't properly Mirandized, or this was uh, this this evidence was coerced. This has completely All no relevance before it goes to anything in front of that a we're jury. talking about. Why are we talking about this? Yes. yes. But in a grand jury, no it's rules. It's just no rules. And so the, the way that police shootings and murders have been... Uh, grand juries have been used in those cases has been so that prosecutors can sort of act as the the cop's defense attorney, right? Mm -hmm. They come in and then they explain to the grand jury all the reasons why the cops should not be charged, which is the opposite (laughs) of what their fucking job is. But they don't want to charge him and they don't have any rules. So they go in and they tell the grand jury all of the evidence that suggests that he didn't commit a crime. And then the grand jury doesn't indict them because they're not given it. There's no two sides. Right. It's one side. There's no, the defense doesn't then get to say, well, what about this? What about that? That's not how it works. So. So the, the, in that case, the prosecutor is sort of trying to act as the prosecution and the defense, except they're only presenting as defense. Right. Because they have Which a conflict of interest. Not their job. Yes, absolutely. So that's the first way that grand juries are absolute fucking horseshit. And that's bad. And it. Is But th- that's really, really separate from what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. So, <clears throat> but all those things, all those same things still apply. So back in the, really started at, sort of in the 50s um, under McCarthyism, uh, they started to use grand, they sort of figured out like, well, shit, there's no rules. And people were so paranoid, right, mm-hmm. during the Red Scare and all of that. They wanted information. They wanted people to name names. They wanted people to tell them who's a communist. The House Committee on Un-American Activities or something right. like that. Right, yes, yeah. HUAC. They wanted information, and people, first of all, there weren't really any communists, but also, um, <laughs> they, so people Nobody were, that was plotting a Bolshevik and, revolution, right. let's put it that way. And so they started to use grand juries back then to, like, compel people to give up Who's a communist? Mm-hmm. And then it kind of died out. And then we get to the 60s and the 70s. Mm-hmm. And this is when COINTELPRO was starting to be utilized, which is, um, if I, I mean, I don't want to get into COINTELPRO too much, but um, essentially where the FBI was um, not just surveilling uh, political dissident groups, such as like the Black Panthers, the Black Liberation Martin Army. Martin Luther King. Uh, Martin Luther King. The ACLU. Right, right. You so all it. of these civil rights movements that were happening in the 60s and 70s were really pissing off the Department of Justice. And so they started what we call COINTELPRO is the sort of shortened name, but it's counterintelligence. Um, but it's not, it wasn't just gathering of information. It was also infiltrating these organizations and sowing sort of 
this seeds of mistrust and this mm-hmm. person's a traitor and that person's really working for the feds and this person's really working for the feds. And it was a really, really nasty, terrible time. And during that time, one of the tools they used to sow this mistrust and to get information about these social movements was grand juries. Mm-hmm. And so there'd be a crime that was committed, you know, um, a murder or a bomb threat or whatever, right? They'd make something up. It doesn't matter um, because it's a grand jury. So like, who cares? And then they would bring in members of these groups of the Black Panthers or of the Black Liberation Army or of, you know, any of these, these groups that they deemed political dissidents. And they would bring them before the grand jury. Nobody would get to know what was said, right? Because these are completely secret. They're completely closed off. There's no public transcript. The public has no access to them. Uh, The people who testify don't even get access to transcripts of what they said. There's no public access at all. It's completely secret. So they bring them in. We have no idea what they ask them. And then then they would say, they basically use that to say, well, you know, he gave up this person and he gave up that person. Mm -hmm. They just start bringing more and more people in. And it really did really sow these um, seeds of, of... of mistrust and um, within organizations and try to splinter them, try to make them break apart. And for the people who did testify, um, because if you don't testify, remember you go to jail, um, for the people who did testify, they can ask you anything. This doesn't have to be about the murder. It doesn't have to be about the bombing. It can be about who did you have lunch with last Tuesday? And who, name all the members of your organization. Name all the people that you know. Tell me what they did last week. Tell me what they were doing today. What are they planning on doing next week? They can ask you all of these questions, and here's the most fucked up part. If you don't answer, you go to jail. That's contempt. If you answer, but you answer incorrectly, there are even minor inconsistencies in your statements, that's perjury. And that catches you a perjury charge, which puts you in jail. Mm-hmm. And so there's no benefit (laughs) to testifying. So we don't cooperate with grand juries is what I'm saying. We never, ever cooperate with grand juries because first of all, nothing good is going to happen. You do not want to give the feds. You don't, why would you snitch on your friends to the feds? You like that. Don't do that. It's terrible. Uh, Okay. uh, Two. Yeah. We'll get into that in a second. If you don't want to tell them that like your buddy is planning a, a protest on Tuesday of the, whatever like then you go to jail you go to jail either way or you snitch on everybody that you love so and you undo your whole movement and you undo your entire movement and <clears throat> and you admit to being part of the movement that they have now deemed terrorism right there's no there's nothing there's nothing good. good and they'll offer you immunity like the first thing they do is they ask you to testify ah, i'm glad you brought and that up and then you say no okay everybody i'm glad you, you assert brought your up. fifth amendment right to not incriminate yourself right yes and when you do that, they say, oh, right, okay, well, we're going to give you immunity against any past crimes so that you can answer all of our questions honestly, and we're not going to put you in jail for anything that you reveal that you may have done that was illegal in the past. And so people are like, oh, so why are you asserting, like, so great, so then why wouldn't you talk? Well, now let's all of this the reasons to, that I just listed, yeah. <laughs> right? But in addition to that, you're not getting immunity Blanket for immunity. further charges, yeah. including perjury. So they give you immunity, you go in, you tell them some things, you lie about others because you're not going to tell them that your husband was planning on doing something illegal, right? Or or your butt, like you're not going to tell them those things, hopefully. And when you don't tell them that, you've perjured yourself or you've hold, held yourself in contempt if you refused to answer. And so then you go to jail for perjury. 
separate from this supposed immunity that they give you. Remind me, uh, just real quick before I get back into that, Clinton Clinton got in trouble because was he did he lie before a grand jury or no just, it was a deposition it was a deposition yeah. with a federal prosecutor yeah. okay yeah okay yeah he was just being deposed yeah anyway uh, but we've seen a lot of this flying around Twitter well she's got she's been given immunity why you know there is no more Fifth Amendment uh, assertion and it's like mm, that's not exactly true um, she can- <laughs> <laughs> no it's just not true um, and it's not just her fifth amendment right that she's asserting. She's also asserting her fourth and sixth amendment rights. Um, and yeah, so that's sort of the basis of why we don't cooperate with grand juries. Did I miss anything? Do you have anything to add or talk about? No, but now let's, let's relate that to Chelsea Manning, because this is what we're seeing, hearing people say, even lawyers, Mm -hmm. they're, they're saying, a, well, she's obviously just trying to protect Julian Assange. B, there's no reason for her not to cooperate with the grand jury because she has immunity. Um, you know, what What else have you seen? Well, Sit out there, that's completely wrong. Th- wait, let me just dispel a couple of these things. First of all, from what we can ascertain, which is speculation, but pretty well-founded speculation, they're not going they're not going after Julian Assange for an indictment of anything about Russia or the election. They're only going after what happened in 2010. Mm-hmm. Chelsea Manning went before a military tribunal and testified voluminously to everything that she knows and everything that happened during that time. It is all on record. If they would like to know that information so that they can indict Julian Assange, it would be very easy for them to pull the fucking transcript and show that to the grand jury. She has nothing further to add. There is no more information that she could possibly share specific to indicting Julian Assange that is not already in her trial transcripts. So what does that mean? That's a good question. What else do they looking for? What else do they want to ask her? And I'm telling you, it's not about that. They have that information. They fucking know everything she knows about that time period. They know everything that she knows. And remember, in 2016, Chelsea Manning was in jail. So it's not like from jail she was talking to Assange about hashing the, ha- hacking the election. She doesn't know shit about that. So everything that she knows, they know. Except who's involved, what are their names, and who's this person, and who's that person, and what did they do, and what did this person do, and it's, it's and again, a fucking th- witch hunt. this is all going back to 2010 and exposing war crimes of the Bush administration. Right. Now let's talk about Bob Barr. Yeah. Who's Bob Barr? Who has he worked for? Who, he is, he worked for Papa Bush, mm-hmm. he was the AG under Papa Bush, and he worked in the George W. Bush Department of Justice. Funny how that works. Funny how that works. Now let's couple that with something else. Remember, despite the fact that Trump loves WikiLeaks now, he... He fucking hate Chelsea Manning. And he despised when WikiLeaks was leaking stuff about the Iraq War, even though he supposedly opposes the Iraq War, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what and- he hated even more than that is that three days before he was inaugurated, Barack Obama let her fucking out of jail. Oh, he went Pissed nuts about that. him the fuck off. Maybe you guys don't remember that, right? But Ooh. he blew a gasket over that. I mean, it was a troll move on Obama's part. It was. 
He could have done that at any fucking point in time. Mm-hmm. He should have done it much, much sooner than he did. But he waited until three days before inauguration and he let her out of jail permanently. And that pissed everybody off. In the Justice Department, it pissed Trump off because it was a big fuck you in his face publicly. And it pissed them the fuck off. They want her back in jail. That's the bottom line. Yes. And this is a way to do it. Now, Bob Barr was just confirmed as new AG, what, a couple weeks ago? A week Mm -hmm. and a half ago, something like Mm -hmm. that? And now, all of a sudden, very quickly, Chelsea Manning receives a subpoena. Mm -hmm. So, we don't know what's going on. It could be Mueller-related, although I'm not quite sure about that, but who knows? It, you know... Who, we don't really know, but we do know the timing of this and the parties involved. This is not about protecting fucking Julian Assange. The last person on earth, I think, Chelsea Manning is worried about protecting is Julian Assange. Correct. She is protecting herself. She is protecting friends and confidants, perhaps in the trans community, yep. in the in the hacker community, in the uh, free uh, press, other people, transparency, government the, transparency, yeah, um, in in radical social movements. She's protecting her people. Yeah, more. She's and, protecting our people. More look, to the point. Look, not to go too off on a tangent here, but more and more these stories are popping up and they're going under the radar, and they shouldn't be. And, you know, the San Diego, local San Diego affiliate just announced the other day that uh, Border Patrol is is surveilling uh, uh, lawyers and journalists. journalists and people who are talking putting about them on lists or talking about immigration, putting them on lists. And oh, boy, doesn't this sound familiar? And, le- and I read yesterday ICE has been doing something similar. Where's their jurisdiction to do counterintelligence? Okay. Is that their job? And and who is giving them the direction to do that? Who is giving them the tools to do that? Like, oh, man, this is all sounding really, really familiar, isn't it? Which is all the shit we warned about in a in a basically what's amounting to a totalitarian regime. Yes. And now and everybody, you know, these fucking talking heads. Oh, well, uh, Bill Barr, you know, he's a straight shooter. It's like uh, this is Trump's guy. Yep. This is an authoritarian guy. Yep. (laughs) Like. You do not cooperate with grand juries because we do not allow the state to t- to access private legal information about our lives and our political stances and our our friends and our comrades. Like nothing, there, no good can come from that. And that's how lists get made, and that's how movements are broken up, and that's how totalitarian regimes stifle political dissent. Mm-hmm. And that is what. Chelsea Manning is fighting against. She's not allowing herself to take part in that process. She will not sell out the people that are doing good work in this country to resist this fucking administration. Remember, she was a whistleblower for war crimes in the Iraq war. And I'm seeing all these people that call themselves progressives and civil rights people on Twitter saying, well, she should just cooperate. Why, why is she protecting Assange? Why is she Assange? protecting Assange? Why? Like, because they, they can't remember far enough back 10 years, right? They can only remember three years back. So the only thing that anyone thinks about when they think about Julian Assange is the election hack. Mm-hmm. That's not what we're talking about. Nobody is trying to prevent Mueller from doing his job or protect Assange or cover up what happened in the election. They're not even talking about that from what we can tell. The more I think the about this, The prosecutor who's on the case mm-hmm. um, has nothing to do with um, any of that. Uh, he his you can look him up um gordon i have to look him up but so we know he's not part of the special counsel team because no. we we haven't right. been sure 
I mean, I don't, I don't know for sure. It's not, not publicly, no. Um, and he's really intensely tied into um, the Iraq war and terrorism and mm-hmm. that whole thing. That's his, that's his docket. That's his baby. Um, so he's not looking at election hacking. He's looking at um, leaking of classified documents, for yeah. sure. So anyway, so Chelsea Manning uh, went to jail yesterday. And that's really fucked up. Now talk about her next steps in terms of resistance and uh, Grumble's motion and yes, and that so sort of stuff. okay, so the the legal rationale behind being able to put somebody in jail for contempt um, of a grand jury, right, refusing to testify or cooperate before a grand jury, is a contempt charge, and the legal rationale is that it's coercive, meaning. If I put you in jail, you're more likely to cooperate with the grand jury. Like, throw you in the, the lockup for a couple of days, you'll realize how shitty jail is, and then you'll cooperate. And it has worked. <laughs> yeah, it works. It definitely has worked. They've had some success. But on people who do this really on principle, people like Chelsea, um, it, what we're trying to tell the judge is it will never be coercive. You can lock me up forever, and I will never testify. I will never cooperate with the state. I will never testify before the grand jury. Not ever. Not ever. Yeah. Once, if you can establish that that's true and that the incarceration is punitive, Mm -hmm. meaning it's really more for a punishment for not doing what we want you to do and not as a tool of coercion that we think might work to make you do what we want you to do, then a judge is compelled and has to let you out. Doesn't that spell the whole problem with grand juries? This is so yes. subjective. Yes. Right? And and we're talking about, okay, well, this person is rotting in jail, and, and I have to now ascertain whether they really are never going to talk or, or if th- this action is, co- you know, and it's like we have gone so far astray from what the, the whole point, supposedly, of the grand jury system is. Yes. So it's really like a taste of it's really like a bit of a totalitarian regime justice. It's the yes. sort of thing that you would do in China yes. or in Russia or, right. you know, third world countries right. to get, oh, you're not going to talk. We'll throw you in the, you know, we'll throw you in the slammer and starve you till you talk. And it's like it's not supposed to operate that way here. Right. It's it's really not. It's that's it's it flies in the face of everything that we say about our justice system. Yeah. Um, it's really an abomination. It's 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 really um, and it's so little understood. People don't really get it, especially you know, sort of on a broad, you can explain why why it exists, but the way in which it's actually utilized, nobody really talks about. Mm-hmm. So the hope is that, look, she's already done seven years in jail, right? She knows exactly what jail is like. She knows what it's like to be in jail. Well, it's, it's and also- her, her willingness to go back to jail, given the choice of jail or cooperation, was jail. So I think it's safe to say she's never fucking cooperating with these people. She's not going to do it mm-hmm. and ever under any circumstances. So what happens is historically um, there's this thing called a grumbles motion. And I don't know why it's called that. And I asked some of our lawyers why it's called that. And they don't actually know either. Um, and we could look it up. But uh, anyway, it's called a grumbles motion. And what that is, is you present it before a judge and you say, look, and usually in most cases, you wait a little while, you know, a couple months, um, usually by around month six of somebody being incarcerated, 
the judge starts to go, okay, they've been in jail for six months. They're start, they're not going to talk to you, right? And the judge will go, yeah, I, I guess in this case, uh, that's probably true. And they let them out. The judges hate this, by the way. They find this to be, they hate that they have to do it. Like, I was reading this, um, this judge's, uh, whatever you call it, right, statement or whatever, when um, one of her attorneys, Moira Meltzer Cohen from New York City, uh, represented another grand jury resistor. And when the judge had to let him go after only a couple of months, um, he was like, this is the dumbest process. Like, this makes no sense. I, I don't know why I'm it's having not the same to do judge, this. No. Okay. This was a guy in New York City. <laughs> that would be good. No, this is a guy in New York City. Um, like, they don't... This is so rare, people resisting a grand jury. This is not something that happens very often. That in uh, the Eastern District of Virginia, the prosecutor who's working down there, I think has only ever had to deal with this once. And I think I heard the judge has never had to do this. And so they they really don't know what they're doing. And when you raise this grumbles motion to a judge and they look at the precedent and realize they have to, they're compelled to let this person go if they feel that it is, in fact, become punitive and not coercive. They do it, but they hate it. And they throw a fit on the stand and they write all these memos about how much bullshit it is that they have to let them go. But they do because the law is really clear. Mm-hmm. Um, so the hope is that um, she will only be incarcerated for uh, a short time. Um, and then, of course, the other thing is just health concerns mm-hmm. because she's a transgender woman. Um, she has unique health needs that um, there was some real concern that the, they would not be able to uh, attend to. And so they're going to her uh, defense team has said that they're going to be watching really closely and making sure that her health yeah. needs have been met and that she's being well cared for because, you know, incarcerating transgender people um, is is not something complicated. That we're doing very well. Yeah, and in the Post article, her her lawyer said the prosecution is going out of their way to make sure mm-hmm. she is getting the proper care. I, I didn't know details about that, so hopefully that is the case. Yes, and her defense team will be watching carefully to make sure that she's well taken care of. And we'll scream bloody murder if she's not. Oh, we'll burn the goddamn building down. Yes. Um. So, okay, so that's... That's where we are. It's really fucking shitty. It's really fucking heartbreaking. Um, she's been through enough. They don't need her testimony to indict Julian fucking Assange. They've already indicted him, as far as we can tell, uh, from their own leaking. Um, this, this. I mean, we don't know for sure, but it sure looks like an, an excuse. It smells like an excuse to get Chelsea Manning back in jail. And it wouldn't surprise me. And if along me, the way they could have gotten some of her people... And some more information from her, they would have done that and then locked her up. Look, but, yeah. I don't have any evidence of this at all, but would it surprise any of you out there if Trump Barr got um, confirmed and one of their very first meetings, he said, I want Chelsea Manning back in jail, let it happen. Mm-hmm. And Bob Barr, fully understanding, Bill Barr, I'm sorry, Bob Barr was another former congressman or something. Bill Barr says, well, that's easy. We'll subpoena her yeah. in front of a grand jury. Either she will incriminate herself or she won't talk and we'll throw her in jail. Yeah. Either way, it's done and done. done and done. And we'll get away with it and, and we'll even get some, you know, bipartisan support because, you know. They hate pe- WikiLeaks. They hate WikiLeaks now. So right. it's like it's a, it's a Nobody's win-win. Nobody's going to care. It's going to be great and she'll be back in jail and it's a win for us. Yeah. I Not mean, so much, again, as it turns out. Again, we don't know if that's actually... No, it could have nothing to do with that. I, but there, there really is no compelling reason for the government to have her testify about things that she's already on record testified about. 
She has already on yeah. record testified about everything that she knows. Right. But the other thing could be that maybe there is one or two loose ends that somehow were not in the military trial that help establish a pattern. And it all does link together with, you know, his actions in 2015 and 2016. And it does. And it is the special counsel. But I will never know. We'll never know because it's all secret. She's not doing it. Well, she's not doing it. And it's completely secret. Completely secret. Yeah. 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 So what can you do? You might okay. be asking yourself. I'm going to give you two things you can do. One is um, support her legal fund. Uh, there are very few attorneys in this country who know how to represent someone who is going to resist a grand jury. And the two attorneys that uh, Chelsea Manning hired are uniquely qualified to do this work. They have done this work and they are mentored by um, the some of the Panther lawyers from the '70s who kind of came up with this idea yeah. that just don't fucking just don't do it, and Can so I, yeah. their their legal team, um, you know, Chelsea's not <laughs> a lot of money, um, and so they're you know they're well, neither does they, the legal team. I was about to say right. that the, these lawyers that are representing Chelsea Manning, they're very very good. And they're very driven, and they're very well trained. They are not high profile, no, and they are not rich by any means. No, they do mostly pro bono work, yes, um, and civil rights work, and they they're movement lawyers, and so um, they don't, yeah, they're not like these big firm attorney. The the big firm civil rights guys don't know how to do this. They've never they done don't. it. No, they consult and they, the, they, and these they, people. And if they were to have someone come to them and say I've been subpoenaed before a grand jury the best they could do is get them an immunity deal not even realizing all of the things we've just talked about could happen and advise their client to testify um, and because it does that happen. seems like the best deal and then oh shit yeah, what which, happened which is why people like George Papadopoulos, et cetera, wind up going to jail and being very surprised by that. Yes, because these there are really very, very few attorneys in this country who can do this work and understand it from a historical perspective, understand it from an altruistic perspective, as, as really like, this is a principled thing to do, and also how best to use all of the possible legal avenues that we can use to protect her um, and to try not to make her go to jail. They did a lot of work on that. Mm-hmm. Um and then to get her out as soon as possible. So um, we're going to post a link in the show notes, but it's Resist Chelsea um, is the organization that's collecting funds for um, for her legal team. I would would really, really appreciate if you could just even throw them a couple of bucks. Um, and then the other thing is I would like you to please write her a letter. Okay. When you're inside, nothing means more. Um, and it's hard for us to understand out here, but it would be really lovely and wonderful if you could send her a letter, please. Um, and I will post, we'll post that in the show notes as well. Um, all of the details on how to do that. Just a couple of things, um, to do and not to do. So they're going to read all of her mail. Just be aware of that. Um, so don't say anything that you don't want the state to know. Um, and that could potentially be, you know, used against her by guards. Um, nothing really personal that, you know, could lead, just be, just be, watch your shit. Um, on the to-do list, um, from her team, Chelsea Resists, is, uh, address your letter exactly as shown above, which we'll post the thing. Um, send letters on white paper. This is really important. I was sending letters to, uh, Rattler. 
the water protector that I was helping with, mm-hmm. uh, my good friend, and I, it was Christmas time, and so I printed out on a color ink printer this pretty stationery for Christmas, and um, I also printed a picture, but not on like glossy picture paper, but just on like regular paper in color, and they destroyed my letter. And the reason for that is, I guess, that you can um, put drugs in printer ink and then print drugs onto paper. And so don't use any (laughs) ink on the paper, just white paper only and pen or pencil. Um, You can use like colored pencils to draw pictures. Um, Use the postal service. Don't use like UPS or FedEx or anything like that. Um, And she can only have 10 four by six photos. So use those sparingly. Do not send cards, packages, postcards, photocopies, or cash. Do not decorate the outside of the envelope, and do not send books or magazines. Okay. And uh, I'm going to get some information um, about her commissary that you can also put money on so she can get the things that she needs. All right. So those are the things that you can do, um, and shout it loud. And when people are talking about grand juries, like, look into it more. It really is fucked up. There's a rich history of people resisting, and they're all heroes in my mind. Um, and then, you know, correct people and educate the people that you know, because this is a topic that I think people would be a lot more outraged about uh, if they knew more about it. I certainly, yeah. um, when I learned more, I was. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and hopefully uh, her lawyers will be asked to try to explain this maybe a little better Um on some of the leading news outfits. But like I said, there's so much going on. It's just getting buried. Yeah, NPR um, stuff. interviewed Moira Meltzer-Cohen, her lead attorney, um, I saw this morning. Oh, okay. Briefly. Um, it was a written article, though, so I don't know if she did a radio interview or not. But mm. um, yeah, they're very busy and... All right. Well, that's going to take us to a break. When we come back, we might touch a little more on this, and then we'll try to catch up with other stuff of the week. I have a rant about uh, Representative Omar, who has been dominating your news lately, as you might have noticed. Uh, me being a Jewish guy, have some things to say yes. about the whole latest tiff over anti-Semitism. So uh, get ready for that, and uh, we'll be right back with you. Back to a reverend testimony, and uh, there's we obviously the first half was uh, dedicated to a subject that was very important to us. But there's a little recurring segment that we can do that we forgot about, and that's our weekly movie review. Oh yeah, it's Saturday. It's Saturday. That means <laughs> we saw a movie last night because we're old, and the most exciting thing we ever do now is go to the movies that we tell you about. Okay, fair. <laughs> the only thing that is safe 
to share with the podcast that we do <laughs> is uh, go see movies. So we saw a really good one last night. Yes. Go ahead and, and give the review. We watched The Favorite, mm. which has been out for a while, as you know, but won uh, an Oscar. Olivia Coleman won Best Supporting Actress? Best, or best Actress. Best Actress, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> which caused some uproar, I guess, because because uh, Green Close, Book didn't oh because Glenn Close, Close yeah. um, has been nominated for an Oscar a bajillion times and has for the ever wife won which we one. also saw mm-hmm. and she was very good in that but not as good as Olivia Coleman for once nobody they got has it right. ever been good at anything as much as Olivia Coleman was at this movie um, so one of our local art house theaters decided to replay this because I guess it won the Oscar and they liked it so much. Uh, the Mayan here. Yeah, and it was packed. It was. When we first walked in, we were the only people that were there. And I figured, and okay, like everybody's seen it. 10 minutes before the movie started, and I was like, all right. And then by the time the previews were over, the place was packed. Yeah. Um, Granted, it was a small theater, but still, there was a good, yeah, it was packed. It was good. So if you haven't seen it, it is a period piece about Queen Anne of England. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know a lot of the history. Of I this. think it's fictionalized for the most part, I think. Um, but it is very good. I don't know if that's true. I don't know. Go but, ahead and give the synopsis. So <clears throat> Queen Anne is uh, the British queen. Um, and she's an eccentric, as I think most of them were. Um, and she's got a lot of health problems. And- yeah. Yep. Um, and she's got this girlfriend, um, who's a, I guess a lady in the court, um, who's played by Rachel Weiss, right? Yeah. And, uh, she's, and, yeah. And they're lovers. They're partners. Yeah. They're partners. Like she pretty much openly. So yeah. Like the public probably doesn't know that, but, but everybody, like in court everybody knows in court it. for sure knows it. And parliament knows it. Yeah. And, everybody yeah. knows it. Um, and Rachel Weiss is really sort of the the brains behind the operation in terms of uh, setting policy for England at a time that I'm not really familiar with um, historically. I'm just not that good with British war history. They but were at war with France <laughs> on and off for centuries. So long that I don't so. even know what period exactly this is. But, yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, Rachel Weiss sort of runs um, the daily dealings of the Queen and, and of running the country because we're Back then, like the queen was in charge, not like now. Um, well, more or less in charge. Queens, this is, I like, they, they really brought this to light too that queens, in many respects, it, unless it was Elizabeth, who took years and years and years to assert her authority, mm-hmm. uh, often, yes, well, they were the ultimate. Uh, well, ultimately, they had the final say. They were very, they were maneuvered in queens ways. and kings. Let's be clear. It's true, but more so queens. But both. But but certainly, uh, members of parliament and lords and noblemen felt as though they could manipulate and push around queens more so than kings. In, I'm sure that's in many true. instances. I'm sure that's true. Yeah. Um, like Henry VIII didn't get maneuvered and pushed around quite in the same way. Right. I mean, but there's always that that sort of. Um, that always comes into play, I think, whenever I watch these things or read about them, is that there's there's it's Game of Thronesian almost, right? Like the, the court and the the parliament members and all of this, because back then it was like you know arranged marriages and this status thing, and it's almost like its own caste system in a way that you know you politically maneuvered women and men into marriages and things to to party parley favor and anyway, it's a lot of that. But um, 
so then her Rachel Weiss, her character's cousin, um, who's like fallen on hard times and is no longer a lady or something, comes in uh, and becomes Rachel Weiss's handmaid or whatever they called him. Um, and um, sort of catches the queen's favor. And then they have this battle essentially for um, control uh, based on the queen's affections for either of them. And that sounds really awful and boring, but it was actually really lovely and wonderful. And I loved it so much. And I was ready to fight Travis after we watched it because I was watching it. And the whole time I was watching it, I was thinking, this movie is not made for you. (laughs) And I was ready for him to be like, I didn't like it. And here's all the reasons. And I was just going to be like, "Okay, I'm not going to have this conversation with you. But I loved it so much. Um, Men in the film were very peripheral. They were really sort of like the way that they do women often in these period pieces, just sort of on the periphery. It should also be mentioned uh, that. At the time, this this is supposed to be the early 18th century. That's that's the Queen Anne they're referring to, and she was actually married, I think, to the King of Denmark or something. Oh, like I don't that. know. And he was still around. He was still alive when this takes place, and they just don't even mention him. He's no, we just, never see him. We never hear of him. We, we know that him. she had 17 pregnancies. They all resulting in zero live children. Yes, and so somebody, right was doing that. Uh, but we don't know anything about him. They never really talk about him or mention him, which is amazing. Yeah. He's Rachel Weiss's husband is definitely in the movie, but like also not important to the story really for the most part. Nope. You see him at the beginning and the end. <clears throat> yeah. That's it. Cause he's off fighting the French. Yeah. And then this one dude who wants to fuck, uh, um, Emma Stone, Emma Stone is in it a little bit. And then this like dude in parliament a little bit, but really the story focuses on these three women and their relationship to themselves and each other. And um, they do such a good job at making them all so three-dimensional. Um, and the relationships that they have, it could have been that movie where it's like, you know, the two mean girls fighting and then this, like, crazy woman over here not knowing what was going on. And it wasn't that at all. Um, it's much more nuanced and... Um, I don't I don't know how exactly to explain it. It was just so refreshing and lovely and wonderful and holy shit her performance as Queen Anne was one of the better performances I will say that I've ever seen ever like she's extraordinary and I didn't know what to expect going in but I knew that everyone was mad and having seen the wife in this I was like (laughs) obviously um she should have won and she was so shocked when she won I guess that she went up there and was like I have no idea what to say because i obviously did not think I was going to win this. Um, but she really, like, her performance was was my favorite part of it. Uh, but just go see it or, like, rent it when it comes out or whatever. I highly recommend it. Um, yeah, it's not... For some people, it's, it's a difficult movie because it is a character story. Yes. And the characters don't always act rational and not everything is completely linear. So it's not like... It doesn't follow the traditional yes, plot like by point Yes, like A to point. B, plot point, first act, second act. It's not really like that. Mm-mm. It's just sort of a continuum of these characters doing these things. In their lives. In their lives for their own reasons. It's relational, for and sure. And like, there, there's not like a clean resolution. There's not like... It's, right. Yeah, it's just a character study. It's beautiful, though. Yeah. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. I really, yeah. And, and it's, like, funny in parts, and it's also sort of heartbreaking in parts, and, and dark, and, like, it's really, really good. A lot um, of subtext, if you're yes, into subtext. Yes, Especially around 
uh, sexuality and yes. and power, uh, power and uh, <clears throat> feminism and all kinds of fun things. And how women relate to women. If you are a woman yes. who loves women, as I am, um, there was a lot in there for you to sort of examine. Well, and well, my favorite part of it is that all these men in power think they're pulling the strings, mm-hmm. and it's very often the opposite. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, the the relationships between the three of them. Um, I don't know, just as a woman who dates and loves women, um, there's a lot to it that I think that I have not seen before. I have not seen it on, on screen quite the way that this movie does it, and I I just loved it. And yeah. I have to pee all the time, and I <laughs> made it through the whole movie because I was like, I have to pee, but I can't. I didn't. I can't. I, I have to, to continue pee, watching. So there's that. So that's something for me. That's that. I almost never make it through a whole movie without having to pee. So anyway... That's my my review. I made it through the whole movie without having to pee. Yeah, put that um, put that on the <laughs> on the marquee. Uh, which is five stars for me. No, it was great. So okay. go see it. I want to talk about all the controversy surrounding rep freshman rep Ilhan Omar. Am I pronouncing her Ilan name right? Ilan Omar. Ilan yes. Omar. Okay, this is First complicated, guys. Muslim Dig in. Woman, right? Is mm-hmm. that right? Look, she's a Somali refugee. Mm-hmm. And she's very young. I think she isn't she like twenty eight or twenty nine. I think she's in her thirties. Oh, she's in her thirties. Mm-hmm. Okay, but she's very young, and you know she she came to this country as an immigrant, and she's not necessarily politically savvy as some of her peers, and certainly her older, uh, you know, colleagues at this point. I'm not making excuses for her, but she's very off the cuff, and well, that is what. Hold on. Okay. She's off the cuff, and she speaks her mind. And that is what we like about her, right? And I want to give you just a tiny bit of background on her. Um, She's from Michigan. Mm -hmm. And uh, way before this, um, there was a This American Life episode where they were talking about um, the the sort of crazy bullshit that happened back in the day where they were like, Sharia law is going to take over <laughs> yes. because all of these refugees no were coming. Zones and they still talk um, about that. Shit. They do. But there was a lot of refugees that settled in Michigan and, um, this American life did an entire episode about it. And on that episode, and this episode's from like 2004, I want to say, um, maybe later than that, but she's on it mm-hmm. and she's talking as a community, community activist and yeah. organizer she would go to like Christian churches and go to these community meetings with her dad and wearing her hijab and talk about what what Islam is yeah. and what it's not. This and is like, who we are. This we're is who we are. And she would, we're not scary. She would field these horrific and horrifying questions from angry white people, and she did it with grace. I mean, she's definitely been in this space for a while in terms mm-hmm. of like being an American but also being a Somali refugee and being a woman who wears a hijab and like All the trying to break down these stereotypes so she's not like she just popped up out of nowhere and now she's right. a rep like she, she's she got some cred but not in a specifically like political space like being yeah. a, a representative in the US House and there's probably some historical context that she she hasn't grasped when she has said certain things and I'm gonna get to that okay um, so she has been in some hot water lately for saying certain things that I don't. Can we get into what exactly she said? Because I don't know. Okay. She she basically has called out the power of uh, 
APAC. APAC and other uh, is Israeli lobbying groups and the power of those lobbies in the United States because she's very much against what she feels is the Israeli occupation of Palestine. Mm-hmm. And the heavy-handed, so, so, so are we, the, the heavy-handed uh, acts by Netanyahu's armed forces and some of the war crimes they've been committing and, and crimes against humanity, frankly, mm-hmm. that have been basically overlooked uh, because of the strategic alliance for the most part with Israel. Um, right. And the colonization of mm-hmm. Palestine by uh, the Israeli state. Yes. And the power that that wields in the U.S. Now, the, prob- the problem is she has also used some language that has historically <laughs> been used as coded dog-whistling anti-Semitic language. Okay. Uh, particularly when she brings up stuff like divided loyalty. Like she is, she has mm. brought this idea of mm. well, where does your loyalty lie, if you know your your main uh, interest is this this foreign lobbying group? You know, is it is it with the interest of the United States or the interests of, of this foreign country? Right. Um, and the problem is, who's she aiming that at? Um, I just think she's speaking off the cuff. That's what I'm getting to. I just think it's what's popping into her head, and the problem with that is the ironic problem with that is that is coded language that was used for many, many years, especially in the 50s, 60s, even into the 70s, by uh, conservatives who didn't really see the need for um, this great financial support of Israel. Um, They do now for a bunch of reasons I'm going to get into. But but back in the day, like your, your grandpa's Republican Party they really weren't that into Israel for maybe it was reasons for anti-Semitism or they just didn't see uh, the incredible uh, benefit and, and Islamic terrorism wasn't such a thing as it was now and Israel wasn't this buffer. Um, but for a lot of reasons, conservatives were like, why should we be sending all this money to Israel? And they would use language like, you know, some hinting some Jews in this country their loyalty is divided they want to send all this money to this foreign country when mm. it, you know we should be investing here this is the things they said and it was very obviously coded towards people in the south right and right it was anti-semitic it, it was anti-semitic anti-semitic now that was i don't its goal. i don't think Ilan omar even knows about that i don't think i or she may know about it tangentially but i certainly don't think she's trying to echo white Republican Southern talking no. points from the 70s. No. It would make no sense. No. What makes even less sense, and I'm sort of jumping ahead here in, in my thought process, what makes even less sense is when, you know, these Republican white men now are getting very upset that she is taking language that they used to use 20, 30, 40 years ago. Right. Uh, this is anti-Semitic. We know it's anti-Semitic because this is the shit we used to say. Like, come on. I mean, give me a fucking break. Now, let me back up entirely. Okay. I'm a Jew. I'm not a religious Jew. I didn't have a bar mitzvah. I know some Yiddish from my grandmas. I but I don't read Hebrew. I do not practice. I I very loosely understand like what it says in the Torah, but I am not a religious man uh, by any way, shape, or form. But ethnically, I am very much Jew. And People get confused about that in this country because they, when when 
someone brings up that person is Jewish, some people in their mind have the idea that that means, um, you know, ethnically Jewish, like I am, or it means like I go to shul and I wear a yarmulke and I, you know, <laughs> what you know, right. practice Shabbos and right. um, fast, uh, you know, and everything else. But I don't do any of those things. Now, here's the problem, right? Um, let's say I was uh, I lived in Berlin in 1938. Yes. And the SS came to my door and knocked on my door and said, "Hey, Rosen, uh, you have to come with us." Probably and, was Rosenberg back then. Uh, it was it was Goldstein actually, ah. but they were mostly in Russia. But let's say it was in Berlin, mm-hmm. and. They said, uh, Goldstein or, you know, whatever, you're coming with us. And I said, no, no, no. I don't even go. I didn't even have a bar mitzvah. I don't go to temple. They said, we don't care. You're a Jew. Right. They don't give a shit if you know any. They don't care. Like their their whole thing was based on this idea that, you know, they, they practiced what became in this country is what we call eugenics, right? Yes. And if your blood was in pure Aryan, it doesn't matter if you go to temple or not. No, they don't care. They don't care. Right. And so this identity of being and I mean, it, it actually goes way back further than that. Like yes. my my ancestors back in the old country in the 17 and 1800s, we, we, we have pretty good evidence they weren't practicing Jews either. Right. They were just Jews who lived among religious people. And I have a, I'm proud of my family tradition of saying, this is all nonsense. We're not doing any of this. <laughs> But like we were still, it was still our community, right? Still our people, our lineage. And I think the thing that you're getting to is, well, whether or not you practice Judaism as a religion, um, anti-Semitic people don't give a shit about that. You're a Jew to them. That's right. And they don't like you either way. Well, I also want to link it to Israel, right? Yes. So, World War II ends, and the Jews all over the world are like, we got to make. Damn Freaking sure the fuck out. this doesn't happen again. Yes. Like, we need to unify. Um, and by the way, World War II wasn't the first time they tried to exterminate us. Nope. So I'm like, this, this, <laughs> this is, goes way back. Goes way to antiquity, to when history was written, the, the Jews have been... Jews uh, themselves are, will tell you there's a reason that we're paranoid. Yes. And a, historically, they have every reason to A be. ripe target. Yes. And, and we said, you know what? F this. We are going to... We are going to build a nation... And we're going to have a standing army and we're going to have borders and we're going to have a government and, you know, and we are going to make it a haven for any Jews anywhere around the world. If you want a safe haven and you want to come live, you are welcome. Yes. And we are going to call call it Israel. And they did. The problem was when they chose it, they took the religious tact Yes. <laughs> and said, well, our chosen land is here. Now, the problem is that. And why was that their chosen land? Uh, it 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 goes back to the Torah and the Old Testament, right. And, right. and it's about a holy site. Yes, and that's the that's the genesis of the problem that we're in right now. Yes, the, and the pro- reason it will never be solved. The problem is their epicenter, their holy land. Uh, the other two major religions in the world, the being the Christianity and Islam, also think that little plot of land in the desert is this is their yes. holy land as well. Yes, um, is Mecca for some? It is. What did the Jews? Well, call it? yeah, Mecca, Mecca, and Medina, as far as that goes. But in terms of like the the Temple Mount and you know the yeah, like yeah, it's, I don't know it's all the dispute. terms. Is all I'm saying. I don't know all the terms. But it's that same plot of land. All three religions claim is like the genesis of their religion. Like it's the 
birthplace. Now, right? And, and, yeah. And then the problem was there were a bunch of uh, Arab folks already living there. Because um, it's their holy were, land. That's right. Uh, or they just happened to be there. They were Bedouins or they were, you know, they, a bunch of people lived there. And and we, 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 we tried to make it work sort of in saying, well, you can live with us, but it, it didn't quite work out. And immediately it's been in dispute and there's been war and, and basically the past 50, 60 years, it's, well, it's been a war zone. And I think we can be more specific to that point, which is that because this is post-World War II, um, the world was in a state of, of trauma and horror over what had happened to Jews. And so the world was really behind them on whatever they thought would probably be best for not making that happen again. Not the whole world, there the Western world. Of, right, the Western world. There's a lot yeah. of sympathy for Jewish people. And this idea that they would want to build a Jewish nation made a lot of sense. And there was a lot of like, whatever y'all want is cool with us. Like, we'll help you do that. It's cool. Like, whatever you need. Um, and I'm oversimplifying, obviously. But, but so I think... In choosing this plot of land um, that they saw as a holy land, um, they became colonizers. Yes. They, they colonized. They became colonizers of this yes. place where these people already lived. Yes. And had lived forever. Yes. And that's something that people will now call me anti-Semitic for saying, but it's fucking true. Right? Well, I'm also saying it, and I'm a Jew. Now, let me let me get back to my point. Yeah. Um, there's this sort of belief that because I'm a Jew, religious or not, and maybe I would feel differently if this was 1947 right? and World War II had just ended and all my relatives had just been gassed, but I've never felt a personal affiliation for Israel. Um, I, I understand why it's there and I understand why they feel the need uh, to... Uh, have a strong army and protect themselves and the threats that, that are surrounded and the reason that they exist in the first place. But I, I've never felt this sort of loyalty or kinship to the nation of Israel. Yes, there are a bunch of people there that I share ethnicity with when you go back in the tree, but my family is third, fourth, fifth generation now American. Yeah. Like we're, we're, Amer- <laughs> we're Americans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether I'm patriotic or not, I'm not Israeli no. by any stretch of the imagination. So as far as I'm concerned, they are they are they are a United States ally and they're another nation and they are capable of being led by, by the right people or the wrong people or having bad foreign policy or good foreign policy or having a bad record on human rights. And what conservatives have managed to do is to conflate support or opposition to Israeli politics as being friendly to Jews or anti-Semitic. And that is, of course, completely asinine. And our friend Mo would actually call that anti-Semitic. It it absolutely is anti-Semitic. Conflating those two things. Now, you may have noticed over the past 20 years or so that conservatives, because remember, up until recently, last 20 years or so, conservatives 
were lukewarm on Israel at best. And and not real good on Jews. No. Not at all. Mm-mm. Like, really, really opposed to the World War II and any in- involvement that we could possibly have in World War II. Not our fucking problem. I don't care. Not our fight. I don't want to do it. That's right. They were isolationists. They don't, yeah, isolationists. It's not our fucking problem. Who cares? No, no, no. And pretty fucking anti-Semitic and being like, you know, those Jews who run all the banks and like all that shit is conservative politics up until not very, like pretty recently. Not even only conservative. You, you had (laughs) even FDR turned away, uh, Jewish refugees. Right. Right. So look, we have a history here. Yeah. We're not great on this, but the past 20 years, the most conservative fire breathing, anti-gay, you know, racist, uh, the, the, just the worst of the worst. They love Israel. Now, why is that, you ask? Well, <laughs> here's a fun story. Here's a fun story. Uh, in the, I mean, this has kind of been going on forever, but really in the latter half of the 20th century into the early 21st century, the evangelical Christians have, have really started to get excited about the book of Revelations. Yes. The end times. Yes. And clearly this like really became politicized in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. But yes. And this is why you see things like evangelical Christian groups taking tours to Israel. Do Mm -hmm. do all of a sudden these people love Jews and Jewish culture? No. And they're not like this. Like, I think people are just like, I don't understand. (laughs) Right. Like, why? What? (laughs) Like, aren't you Christian? And, and, And then I think people misunderstand and think. Well, you know, the fir- the Old Testament is part of the Bible, and so maybe they're connecting in that way, and they're also, like, conservative, and it's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, it's more specific it's than that. way weirder than that. Basically, what the book of Revelation says is that uh, Israel will be destroyed, and, and all the Jews will be either converted or, or killed, and that is basically step one of the rapture. Correct. And let's remember, right, like, that Christ, this is the weirdest part of this for me is that Christians historically fucking hate the Jews because they blame the Jews for killing Jesus. <laughs> it's part of it. Right? Yeah. And so this weird flop over of like now all the Christians love Jews is rightfully confusing for most people. For this certainly was for Jews. Yeah. Like wait, hold on. We you we've been the the bane of your existence forever because you wrongly believe that we killed Jesus yeah. uh, when it was the Romans. But now, as now, we know, evangelical Christians are the core of the Republican base, period. Yes. That is, they are not... No, go- but so let's go back. So okay. to the rapture. So the idea in the book of Revelations is if you get all the Jews in one place, <laughs> this is the goal. If, if, yeah. book of Revel- if you get all the Jews in one place, then we can burn that place down and then Jesus will come back and then he'll send all the Christians to heaven, and then the end times come, and everyone else that's a heathen dies. And, and that, it's, that's sort of it's an all, over, oversimplification, but it's but that's, more. Or I less. think that's mostly what they, the oversimplification that they kind of have come to. Yeah. Right. So they want Israel to exist because they want all the Jews in one place, not because they love Jews. Right. Right. And if, <laughs> right. If, yeah. And if Israel is overrun by. You know, and, and a bunch of Palestinians Iran-led coalition. Mm-hmm. Then that well, that's not what the Bible that's says. Not that's not what the Bible says. We're then not going to get our rapture, right? We can't get our rapture if there's a bunch of Muslims walking around. I mean, all the Jews in one place, and nobody else can be there. And then Jesus will come back and <laughs> yeah. burn them all down. I mean, seriously, this, this is, is not. You can look this up. It's I in swear their book. Swear to God, it's in their book. Swear to God. 
So, so, but okay. So go on. So okay. evangelicals are the absolute core of the uh, Republican party. Yeah. Without that, there is no Republican party yes. anymore. What people get very frustrated and they say, you know, how come no matter what happens, Republicans and Trump have this solid 35% that's just not going anywhere. It's like, those are mostly your evangelical Christians. Yes. And they are not, they are, <laughs> there's no dividing them. Absolutely. It doesn't matter how many people Trump impregnates, how much child molestation. It's not, no. They don't care. They don't care. They have a much, much bigger prize. Yes. The bigger prize is the rapture. <laughs> yes. So yes. they've taken this and run with it. The yes. Republican Party is like, I mean, all right, if they like the Jews and they like Israel. Or they want the Jews it. at least alive for the time being until God can kill until them. Until we can get them all in one place. Right. Yes. And so, you know. You'd think that that would have happened in the concentration camps. <laughs> yeah, right. The rapture is going to happen. Jesus. So, but they, but it's been, it's led to this thing that conflates any criticism of Israel with anti-Semitism. Now, to think about how stupid that is, it would be like all these people that oppose Maduro in in Venezuela and want a revolution there be be like me saying, "Oh, you oppose Maduro? Well, then you're 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 anti-Hispanic. You're racist against Hispanic." Right. People. It would be it's like the same thing. It would be like opposing. Um, what happened in Darfur or Rwanda and saying, if you oppose those government regimes, that means that you're racist. That you're racist against black people. Up against black people. Yeah. That's what that, that's conflating it to. Like yeah. that's opposing Gaddafi is, means that you're racist against black people. And like that's insane. And there's a reason that despite every time the Republicans do this and despite, you know, uh, the evangelicals loving Israel, all of a sudden, that that Jews in this country overwhelmingly vote Democratic yes. again and again and again and again and again. Yes. Because we know. We know what's up. So. So getting back to Ilhan Omar, I have a lot of problems with how this has all gone down. First of all, you you made this point to me last night. Like, we're entering this new era where our party has all these d- dynamic uh, voices from you know with a lot of different opinions and bringing in a lot of different yeah, ideas. Yeah, we've been yelling and screaming to the rafters forever. Oh, let's bring in women of color. Let's bring in young people. Let's bring in diverse voices. Let's do that. And then as soon as we have them, we're like, shut the fuck up. What are you talking about? Why aren't you like a white man? Now, here, here's my problem with, with how this has gone down, right? I, I think, I don't go as far as a lot of my friends. I think Nancy Pelosi and leadership was absolutely right to pull her aside and say, okay, look, whether you meant it or not, this stuff is coming out wrong. And it's problematic. But that's how it should have been handled. Instead, they went a step further and decided to try to do a resolution saying that anti-Semitism is bad. I have so many problems with this. This is so dumb. Okay, look. This is the, this is, this is, this is the moment where that's, where we, what? Do you know how many things have been said on the fucking floor of the house and by house members that are insanely, blatantly, intentionally anti-Semitic and racist? And you're like, yeah, they're Republicans. And then this young Muslim Somali refugee comes in and says all about the Benjamins. And we're like, we need a resolution. What the yeah, fuck? So we're going to paint a target on her back. Now, fortunately... They were ready to run with that. And fortunately, her young colleagues, you know, her freshman colleagues, most of them stood up and said, no, you're not going to fucking do that. No. How dare you? So they tried to split the difference and say, 
okay, well, we'll do a resolution. We won't name her. We won't make it explicit about her. We'll just do a racism is bad resolution. No. And it's still obvious what it's for. So, and, and they got baited into this and this happens all the time. And we were doing so well. This is what drives me crazy. Like for all the Dems in disarray talk and, and us sucking at messaging and us losing these fights and getting uh, rope-a-doped constantly by these guys, like Pelosi and the leadership, they were pretty much kicking ass. You know, they got an unpopular president and, and an unpopular Republican uh, Senate and yep. we're winning and we're winning and we're winning and, and they keep burying themselves and then they bait us into this. Yep. Because Omar says some things that are problematic. And we get baited into, okay, well, maybe we can bait them into into well, we blowing can't. up and turning into a huge brawl within their own caucus. Mm-hmm. And we took the fucking bait. We took the bait. What should have happened was very simple. And maybe they couldn't do this. But what should have happened was you have a presser and you have Hoyer and Pelosi and Omar all stand there and Omar saying, I apologize, you know, that my comments were hurtful. This is what I really meant. Of course, I am not anti-Semitic and we are united. We are all united in in this and that. And then it's done. And then, yes, Republicans howl for another day or two and say it's not good enough and she's anti-Semitic and whatever. And we move on to 80 other things. Instead, instead, with the resolution bullshit, now it is a huge week-long story. I would also like to point out, I think that you're right, and... She should not have to apologize for being opposed to APAC and its political influence, money, and power in the United States government. It is a giant lobbyist group that has nothing to do with Jews, really, right? It's a lobby. Who? Since when are we not it's, allowed to criticize lobbyists? Yeah. And, because they're Israeli lobbyists? Suddenly APAC, they're off the limits? Like, is, what the fuck is that about? It's very much time to tied to weapons and arms and, and it's really problematic funding conservative republicans and it is very problematic and number two well, chuck schumer is big on them too though saying that you are opposed to the policies of israel does not make you anti-semitic and conflating the two is anti-semitic i agree although she needs she needs to parse her words better i'm telling you she does i know but i think you have to want it all about the benjamins yeah She's talking about the influence of APAC's money in politics. Yes, I know that, and you know that. but And that's what she meant. I know, but the problem is if Steve Scalise said that, we would probably think it would be anti-Semitic, and, it, and we'd be right. Right. It's not fair. Right. But it, that's how the shit is perceived. And it's, it is so cynical for them to say, you're saying something we say. Of right. course it's anti-Semitic. Right, exactly. But exactly. people don't see that, and the Chuck Todds of the world don't see that. They right. can't put two and two together. Because saying can, something that someone do. else, it's context. It's like a white person using the N-word, right? Yes. And saying, well, you say the N-word. Right, why can't I say it? No, 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 <laughs> no. No, but you know that's that's not a great analogy because Omar is not Jewish. But hold, but let's let's back this up even a second further. I know we're running out of time, but are we? Yeah. All right. Well, I w- let let me just say this because then she then she also went on, she also said some things about Obama that got everybody's feathers ruffled. You know, she basically said Obama really isn't that much better than Trump because he did things like drone strikes and he started this policy of putting kids in cages and some of that might have been fair, some of it not, but. I don't really care if if Omar, this freshman rep out of 
you know, 400 however many reps there are. 435. Says, okay, you know, I'm not that crazy about Obama. I don't have to agree with her, and I could still admire her. I have friends and very close loved ones who do not like Obama, and that is just that's, a political opinion, and she's allowed to fucking have one. Yes. Obama's not running for office, but and she, but she's not wrong on a lot of the things that I she know, says about it. I know, but him. then when she got called on it, she denied she said what she said. And I know. Problematic. This is what I was trying to say. Is This is what's so frustrating is you you get these people that we wanted to come in we need diversity of voices we need young people we need people of color we need women of color women are going to lead da 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 we get them in they have a, an opinion about obama that you didn't like because so many democrats do we don't talk about it because he's not fucking trump and he's like the first black president and all the things but there's a lot of problematic things about president obama agreed agreed yeah we never said he was perfect no we criticize him all the time we miss him like hell but he wasn't perfect racist and nobody tells us no because we're white but the way she said it was problematic that is what i'm getting hold on no you're getting to then she retracted it yes i believe that she that we need to figure out what to do with this diversity of voices because what I think what's happening right now is we have this diversity of voices and and this is not party line and you're not saying that this is not a thing that we want you to say so we shut you up and then you retract it which just looks worse I think instead you just let her say Obama here's why I don't like him and but that's the problem Rachel that's not what she said what she should have said in my opinion was, you know, President Obama did a lot of great things for eight years, and I understand that, you know, we miss him a lot, but he was far from perfect, and here are the, some policies that, frankly, weren't any better than... But she didn't say it like that. She basically said Obama's Obama's as bad as Trump. She she went straight for the inflammatory language. And there's no need to do that, especially not when we do need party unity. And like, it doesn't mean she has to toe the party line, but, like, that's throwing a bomb. That is throwing a hand grenade. I would like it to is. see the I'm quote sorry. where she said Obama's as bad as Trump. Okay, you're going to have to go back and look at the quotes. They they were bombs. They were grenades. They weren't parsed like me and you would do it. And 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 being and, and, and you know stating, you know, for the record, I miss the hell out of Obama and I love him, but these are the things we just No, that's not what she said. She 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 came from like the the super far left of let's, you know, primary Obama cuz he's terrible. That was the language she was using. And she was right to get called out on it. Now, it's okay if she has that opinion. I don't know that that's true. Okay. He's not running for anything. <laughs> no, no, he is not. But you don't think that that every uh, viable contender is going to be, hey, don't you miss Obama? Yeah, and she should shut up when it comes to that. But when we're talking about foreign policy, and she's talking about specific things about foreign policy. I mean, I don't like her comparing him to Trump because I think that's unfair. But like, that's what she, she did. Get, well, okay, I'm not going to argue with you about this, but I I don't like this idea that like there are 435 members of Congress and in the House. Yeah, in the House, and I don't know. She gets to have that opinion. I sure, but opinions are not without consequence. Remember, it's like a, a, the First Amendment fight we always have. Yes, you are free to go out on the corner and yell Heil Hitler to everybody that walks by. That doesn't mean there are no consequences to those actions. I just don't, I, I don't know. I, 
And I I'm not making that the she's com- being, that comparison. I think that she's being targeted. I, that's, I feel really defensive of her because I feel like she's being really unfairly targeted because she is a woman, because she's a woman of color, yes. because she wears a hijab. Did you see the ads that were run against her? Yes. I'm not against her because she's not running for anything. About her, and using her I agree. to say that she was responsible for 9-11. Like, there's, there's shit. Like, fuck it if she doesn't like Obama. She is... There's more going on with her than just the Democratic Party attacking her. Rachel, I agree 100%. I just don't see the utility of then dropping a grenade into the middle of your own caucus. That is obviously going to create tremendous division. Now, she can go that route or she cannot, and I still think she's trying to figure it out. And I think her and Pelosi are going to sit down and figure it out. She's going to get much better at this. Remember, she's a baby. I know. She is a congressional baby. I know. And... A, yeah, AOC is kind of ahead of the game with her, probably at, at doing certain things and and yeah and, and talking, but sh- I don't think she's helping herself. Is my point? Okay, I think she can do better. I agree. I just want to say before we end, forty Jewish organizations just came out um, all together as a platform to support her and awesome. call out what they see as anti-Semitism by equating criticism of Israel's policies and criticism of APAC as being anti-Semitic, as itself being anti-Semitic, Which it and is. standing in favor of her. And this is a quote, accurately describing how the Israel lobby works in this country is not anti-Semitic. The never-ending smear campaign against Elon Omar is racism and Islamophobia in action, is what the Jews had to say. Excellent. Yeah. Those are my people, and I agree with them yes. 100%. Me too. We'll have more to say about this, probably. I'm sure it'll just keep happening. but uh, Or or she's going to be like, you know what, I'm going to keep my mouth shut for a few months. I don't think that's her, but we'll Maybe. see. Well, she's, she's there for two years. She can let things die down for a month or so, right? I don't know. I look. I'm not her boss. She's nope. gonna do what she's gonna do. And you she, tell women of my generation to be quiet. We tend not I'm to. I'm not telling anybody to be quiet. I'm, everybody can 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 choose your words better. It's politics. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Politics is politics. Yes. Okay. So stay active. Stay tuned. Stay involved. Find us on Twitter at Irreverent Duo. I will have those show notes on the Chelsea Manning stuff. And, yeah. Please uh, donate and please write her a letter if you can't afford to donate. I would really mean a lot to me. Talk to you next week.